0: Hello, and welcome to the Travel Japan with Wes Mather podcast. In this series, we explore living, working, studying, and of course, traveling in Japan. I hope to inform you on how to travel smart, safe, and with confidence, all while hopefully having an amazing time abroad. Everything you hear will be based off of my personal experiences, research, and experiences of others that I know. I'm your host, Wes Mather, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening, and now let's begin. So season 1 episode 2 will start off with 3 new segments, those being a news update at the beginning where I'll cover current trending news topics in Japan. Second will be the voice message segment where I answer all the questions I've received pertaining to Japan in general or the first podcast or really anything that anybody wants to ask or say to me. And finally at the end of the episode I will have a segment where I teach some Japanese words and phrases that pertain to what we covered in today's episode. So let's begin with my first segment. This podcast's very first news of Japan, and I'm going to begin with something kind of heavy. But we will cover this past week's news in Japan on the coronavirus and the Tokyo Olympic plans, as well as lifts on the travel bans in Japan and the Demon Slayer movie and anime news. As for finally, a push for environmentally friendly energy in Japan. For the coronavirus in Japan, Japanese Prime Minister Suga is worried that the dropping temperature in the winter season will lead to a larger outbreak. In Tokyo, this past Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every day received 200 new reported cases. Cases of the virus, and that is higher than it has been recently. In Hokkaido, over this past weekend too, there were record high cases of every single day producing 100 new cases or more, with a relatively high 187 cases this past Saturday. So, officials across Hokkaido are urging nightlife establishments like hostess bars and host clubs to shut down. Until the virus is more contained. All things considered, these numbers are globally relatively low, with a current reported ninety three thousand cases in Japan compared to the five million reported cases in Brazil or the eight point one million reported cases in the US. On the flip side of this, Prime Minister Suga has vowed to secure enough vaccines for the entire population of Japan before half of next year is over. Various biotechnology firms, as well as one US drug maker that says its experimental vaccine provided more than a ninety percent effectiveness, have agreed to supply more than 170 million doses of any successfully developed vaccine to Japan. These will be largely coming from the US and England, and there should be enough vaccines to supply every single Japanese citizen with the necessary two doses. Next we have the Olympics, which have been postponed from 2020 to 2021. Former Prime Minister Abe was very resilient about not having the Olympics until the pandemic is over so that the full scale of the Tokyo Olympics could be upheld. However, the new Prime Minister is much more flexible and says that with vaccines, as well as a much limited crowd size, the Tokyo Olympics could go on for this summer, and this is a very popular choice for many industries in Japan that are really suffering due to a lack of tourism. On a similar topic, as of this month November, many tourists have been accepted from South Korea and China as well as six other countries where the travel ban has been lifted, however this is not yet extended to North America or many places in the West. This is also in an effort to jumpstart the tourism industry which has been suffering greatly this year. In other news, the Demon Slayer movie has been making box office history in Japan. The film made $11.3 million on its opening day which was a Japanese record, and on the first opening weekend it had already made 44 million in Japan. This was the best three day opening weekend ever in Japanese history for the box office. And I think this spells very good news for fans of the Demon Slayer franchise for much more media coming out. However, it is currently not the highest rated anime by critics in Japan. And the highest rated current anime is... The Irregular at Magic High School, Visitor Arc. Finally, for news on the protection of the environment, it seems like 76% of the Japanese population does support... Prime Minister Suga's goal of reducing domestic greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050, which does greenlight a lot of environmentally friendly legislation for coming months and years. This can already be seen where Japanese economic titan Toshiba quits building coal-fired power plants with a push to shift towards greener energy. And finally, a South Korean intelligence chief has recently visited Japan and met with the Prime Minister in hopes of strengthening the relations between South Korea and Japan. This may include talks of reparations from Japan to Korea for World War II atrocities. That is all for a brief overview of this week's news. It was my first time going into this segment and please let me know if you have any reactions to it. Or suggestions on how I could better approach this segment. So now for the rest of episode 2. In this episode, we're going to cover what to do at the airport when you arrive, as well as the things that amazed me about Japan for my first impression and the things that surprised me. Also, my welcoming orientation for my study abroad program, which covered a lot of important cultural tips. And moving into my apartment, as well as apartment selection and finding places to stay in Japan overall. Plus the Japanese language class placement exam all the way up to my very first class. In my last podcast, I covered the Japanese study abroad application process, as well as how I prepared myself to come to Japan. So if those are things that you have interest in, please feel free to check that out also. I'm excited about this episode because coming here for the first time was a very pivotal point in my life, so I can't wait to share that. I'm also very proud of the friendships I made here and the people I got to connect with, so I get to start to touch upon that. Even though leaving my comfort zone made me very nervous, for a lot of these initial encounters they ended up being very fulfilling. These are not completely unique experiences to me, but I think I got very lucky with some of them. So I hope that you can as well after hearing some of my travel stories in a new place with a new culture. Also, in the middle, we're going to take a break to answer some questions that I received about my first podcast and some questions about life in Japan in general. As always, thank you for listening. I am Wes Mather, your host, and let's begin. So I left off in episode 1 when I had just boarded the plane and we had taken off. I enjoyed the plane ride, they had solid food, snacks, and drinks, and I think I mainly watched movies the whole time. A little bit too excited to sleep. I remember watching It Follows and Interstellar. I'm often cold on airplane flights, so I'm glad that I wore a lot of layers, even in the summertime. And being on an airplane makes me feel like I'm in a space movie or a space anime. So I listen to a lot of EDM. Anyway, I had my quick layover in Korea, which is a fantastic place. And I'd probably like to talk more about it there, but this podcast is mainly sticking to what I know in Japan. So I had some delicious spicy noodles, and admired everybody's sharp fashion. And I set off on the final two-hour plane ride to Japan, where I would be landing in K.I.X. Kansai International Airport, an airport which I love. So, first order of business when you're traveling to any other country is filling out the customs declaration form. For Japan, they'll ask you the address of where you're gonna stay when you arrive, your planned arrival and departure dates, birthday, passport number, and so on. Additional questions are if you're carrying any prohibited items. This would be like boxes and boxes of cigarettes, where they might wonder if you plan to sell them. So, I often just check no for all of that. Finally, you will be asked if you're carrying more than $10,000 cash on you. So, major points to you if you are, but I was definitely not. And definitely, credit card use in Japan as well as Japanese accessible global banking makes this fairly unnecessary, even if you do need 10000 in cash real quick. And yikes, I am starting this off with talking about more paperwork, so I'm just going to finish up by saying I think it's helpful if you remember to bring a pen to fill this out, and possibly a screenshot of your address in Japan, or your Japanese address written on a piece of paper. So there are a couple prominent international airports in Japan that you might be arriving through. These would be Tokyo's Narita or Haneda, after that would be Kansai where I came in. And in between those two is the Central Japan Airport in Nagoya, which is actually very much in the center of Japan. And Kansai International Airport blew me away with its extremely modern architecture and also the fact that it's built on a man-made island. This, coupled with my excitement for landing in Japan, set the foundation for an unbelievably amazing first impression. Our plane landed, which somewhere in the back of my mind still is always a bit scary to me. The anticipation for the plane to hit the ground and the big bush when it does. And I remember seeing the flight crew waving to us from the runway. This was my first exposure to something in the Japanese work ethic, where I feel like people really take care and pride in even small elements of their job. First thing I remember when I stepped off the plane was how hot and humid it was there in the summertime. Los Angeles is a comparatively dry place, even being by the ocean, I guess California at the end of the day is a desert. The bridge to the terminal from the airplane ended, and once again I was in a cool, air conditioned place with huge windows and stainless steel architecture. And now it was time for me to go through immigration. I was prepared to explain myself in detail, I had my passport and my visa ready, and I anticipated a ton of questions I would have to answer to prove that I was not suspicious. When it was finally my turn to talk to the immigration officer, they asked me in pretty good English why I came to Japan, and I told them to stay. That you brought here at Osaka University and they said fantastic and looked at my paperwork and I was good to go. I was legally inside of the country. I really expected it to be a bit more difficult for some reason. So other times I've entered the country for a student visa or a work visa there have been more questions. Sometimes where am I gonna stay and I would answer with a friend or give the address of a uh, Airbnb I was renting or my apartment. And if you're coming here for a tourist visa, then you basically present your passport and you get a stamp clearing you for being here for 90 days. And it's free and it's that simple. Sometimes also the questions of where you're staying, how long you're going to be here, when you depart, and what you plan to do here. I've always had great experiences with immigration here. That of course is if you have a passport from the United States or a passport from most Western countries. However, it is trickier from some countries, namely China. I think you have to have a visa here that you have to apply for for quite some time in advance. Anyway, I collected... Anyway, I collected my checked bag, and I passed through customs, and I was good to go. Now, here's my self-created list of things to do when you arrive at the airport in Japan. Number one is currency exchange, where you exchange the cash that you brought with you into Japanese Yen. Even though many places in Japan are accepting credit cards more and more every year, it's a great place to have cash on you for uh, cash-based businesses, because Japan is also greatly still a cash-based society in in many regards. There is an exchange fee for the airport, however, I believe it's quite a bit less usually than many fees that uh, you have to pay if you're at an ATM, at a post office, or at a 7-Eleven, which are the two major places that have ATMs that work for global credit cards or debit cards. There are multiple counters where you exchange currency at KIX and most Japanese airports, and if you can't find them, feel free to ask the information desk. It's a giant lowercase i in a circle, and they always almost have an English-speaking employee to help you there. Number two, the airport has multiple ways for you to be able to use your cell phone in Japan. Such as renting a pocket Wi-Fi through a booth or through an automated kind of vending machine for them. And the other is getting a SIM card that can be temporary and works if you have an unlocked phone. A factory unlocked phone to be specific. You pay by the day or the week or the month and it's usually fairly affordable and you can extend the time that you rent it for also by using their website. Recently my favorite way is by getting the SIM card because I know I have a factory unlocked phone, however at the time I had no idea what that was and I just got a pocket Wi-Fi, which worked very well, you just have to make sure that you charge it frequently. Many foreign carriers, like AT&T for example, also have a global data plan. For example, when you go to Japan, automatically you'll get a text message saying that you can have data in Japan for about $10 a day. And this is the most convenient without a doubt, but most likely the most expensive. And again, the people at the information booth can help you with all of this stuff as well when you arrive at any airport in Japan. Number three, all airports I've seen in Japan have a shipping service that will, for a pretty fair price, ship your suitcase to the place that you're going to be staying. This, of course, is not a necessity, however, carrying a huge suitcase around with you, or multiple, while you're trying to navigate the subway system of a new country for the first time, can be a hassle. And after a long trip, there's nothing I like more than surrendering my suitcase to the company. In many cases, it's a company called Kuroneko, which means black cat, and you'll see an image of a uh, black cat carrying a younger black cat in its mouth, and they'll take care of the rest for you if you provide them with your address. Usually it takes anywhere from half of a day to a full day. And one time I did lose my suitcase, or rather someone at the airport lost the suitcase, and it was not at the checked baggage claim, so I reported it at the information desk, you guessed it, and uh, two days later they sent it to my apartment for free of charge through the same service. And the last thing would be to pick up your ICOCA card, Suica card, or transportation card at the airport. This is a card that allows you to tap it at the entrance of any train station to ride any train or bus. It is basically a huge time save and you don't have to spend time looking up the exact price for the ticket to your station every time you ride a train. And they have them sold at almost every airport train station too. These cards cost $5 or 500 Japanese yen and I'm gonna probably be using yen from now on. So that is the basic conversion rate. One yen is essentially one American penny. And anyway, when you pay that money for the card, you can also charge it with as much money you want on the card. And you can also charge it at most every train station also. And sorry if I got confusing with the names of the card. So all these cards share the same function, but based on the prefecture you arrive in, the cards are gonna have a different name. If you arrive in Tokyo, it's gonna be called Suica card. If you arrive in Kansai, it'll be called ICOCA card. There's also other names, like Pitipa card or Nimoka card. And if you're not sure the name of the card, then I think you know by now where to ask. And I swear that information desk at the airport basically makes this whole part of this podcast irrelevant, but thanks for listening anyway. And that is my checklist of what to do when you arrive at the airport in Japan. However, before I get into the rest of my story, there is one other point I want to touch upon since we are discussing transportation. Another great option for transportation in Japan, uh, specifically if you're coming here for a shorter period of time, is the JR Rail Pass. Now, this must be purchased for the most part before you come to Japan for the best prices and the widest availability. JR is the name of the largest railroad company in Japan and having this JR rail pass will allow you to ride any of their transportation for free just by showing it to an employee at any of these stations. So yeah, not for free but once you pay for the pass so I think you understand. A seven-day JR rail pass costs about $296. A 14-day one costs $472 and a full 21-day JR rail pass costs $643. This is mainly a financially viable option if you're going to be traveling all across the country of Japan uh, via the Shinkansen or the bullet train. So within that first seven days if you ride about four or five Shinkansen which often cost about 80 bucks to 100 bucks for one ride then it's a fairly solid investment. However if you're mainly staying in one city in Japan and will be traveling within the local transportation there then you might just be breaking even. It's cool though having the freedom to take any train anywhere in the country and not really worry about the price. It is most simple to buy these passes outside of Japan from a local travel agency in your country, so it is worth planning ahead for these. So back to me, a clueless Los Angeles boy in a Japanese airport speaking zero Japanese. Due to a very helpful email from the Japanese school I was able to take care of that previous list from options 1, 2, 3. I exchanged my dollars for Japanese yen, I got my pocket Wi-Fi, and I sent my baggage all the way to my apartment, which the school had also set up for me. And I will get to that later. But now, even with the help from the amazing people at the information desk, I was standing by the train station in the airport, very confused. And here is where I can begin to introduce some of the amazing people that took part in my life in Japan, and how much I appreciate the parts they played, really bringing me to where I am today, and who probably really shaped my path inadvertently and without knowing. This is when a girl called Sasha came up to talk to me. So, I was staring at the map of places to go by the train station and the airport, and I was pretty confused to be real. I was feeling that I did kind of jump in over my head, and even though all the station names on the map also had English, I had no idea where to go. For the very first night, every student was supposed to meet at a hotel, in a station called Ibaraki Station, so that everybody could be in the same place when we had the first orientation the following day. I have done three separate exchange student programs, and all of them began with meeting at a hotel beforehand, so that people could arrive at staggering times from different flights and then all go to the campus together. I was glad I did not have to be there by a specific time that evening because I did not know which train to get on. And clearly I looked just as confused as I felt because somebody behind me in English said, hello, are you also an exchange student? And I turned around. And this girl with long black wavy hair and glasses asked me if I was also trying to get to Ibaraki Station. I was pretty surprised and definitely relieved. And I did think it was the biggest coincidence that somebody from my same program could have found me but then I realized why and she was also with another girl with short brown hair and apparently she was asking a bunch of people that looked like they could possibly be exchange students uh, if they were from our program and she introduced herself as Sasha and she introduced the other girl as Rose and I soon found out that Sasha was one of the most outgoing and together people I had ever met with a very sharp and bubbly personality is the way you can tell by the way she approached strangers and found two people that were in her program before she even left the airport and she had already found the train that we have to get onto to uh, get to our hotel Sasha also helped Rose and I purchase our ICOCA cards, which are those transportation cards that I was talking about earlier. And of course, if you are traveling here and an outgoing friendly stranger does not come up to help you find your train, I believe there's a lot of assistance available at the help desk, at the information desk, and at the, uh, from the station attendants too. And KIX and all the Japanese airports I've been to have stations that lead directly to the, uh, different parts of the cities as well as buses that go all over Japan. And for us, it was the subway leading straight out of the airport into the city of Osaka. We tapped our newly bought transportation cards at the station entrance and we were out of the airport and into Japan. It was nighttime at this point, and I do remember looking out over the nightscape, and the closer we got to the center of the city, the more I remember being blown away by the magnitude of the industrial architecture of the view. There were huge, huge, huge apartment complexes, and many of them seemed to go on for blocks, which was amazing. If you're coming from a big city yourself, I don't think this will be that shocking, but even coming from Los Angeles, where our skyline is relatively flat, and even with only seeing the nightlights, it was pretty stunning. So I talked a bit with Sasha, and rose on the train and helpful thing number two Sasha did was introduce us the line app now line is an app that is used by almost everybody in Japan to message each other and she suggested that we start a group chat for people in the exchange program to basically share information and plan things together so I downloaded the app with my newly found pocket Wi-Fi and we started a group chat line is great and basically every time I meet somebody in Japan instead of asking for a phone number I do ask for line everyone from business executives to people I meet at a party I'd say it's more popular than Instagram and it has a great way to communicate with groups and there are great ways to share photos and the photo quality is actually pretty good compared to Instagram messaging. You can add people by QR code or by like shaking your phones together if you want to add like four or five people at a time. And I had never heard of this before I had came to Japan. This is not like a sponsored message or anything. This is just a very useful app to have if you're gonna make Japanese friends. And they have very cute stamps and stickers that you can send to people. I think Sasha learned about it by watching Japanese dramas or something. Anyway, we arrived at the station and Google Maps led us straight to the hotel. Google Maps also is a great app to have in Japan for travel. It usually gives very correct information for what buses and trains to ride, as well as great driving instructions and walking instructions. Again, not a sponsored message, just what I have found useful for myself. The walk to the hotel was quick and I was exhausted and we checked in. I saw some other people in the hotel lobby that I believed would probably be exchange students too in the same program, but I was pretty wiped out so I went straight to my room, lay on the bed, and listened to music. I was wild excited. The hotel room was small and clean, but it didn't really stand out as being different from any hotels I've really seen in America or other places. Parts of the world during my travels. Except for the bathroom was specifically a bit more small than I would have expected. But still, I really love the first shower always I take after a long, long plane ride especially if I have to have a layover. And it felt great to change my clothes also. I got a message at the time from Sasha asking if I wanted to go to the convenience store close by with her. And I was pretty tired but I was really excited to check one out after seeing them in a lot of Japanese media so I said sure, if she could wait for me to be done getting ready. I met Sasha and Rose down back in the lobby. Sasha was very talkative and Rose was actually pretty quiet, but she seemed extremely friendly also. I think that if I'm around somebody that's kind of quiet or shy, I can definitely be the one that kind of carries the conversation. However, both of these people seem to know a lot more about Japan than I did, and because Sasha was so talkative, I kind of just took the position of listening and learning to a lot of what they said. And we walked to the convenience store, and we got onigiri, which is my first onigiri, I think, in Japan, and maybe ever, actually. Onigiri, by the way, is the rice ball that many people see in Japanese media, and it is Rice packed into a triangle form and it's wrapped in seaweed and in the center is a filling such as salmon or tuna with mayo or chicken. I thought that salmon would sound good so again Sasha helped me find the one that said salmon. These are like a dollar each and they're at every convenience store in Japan and I think they're delicious. However, I could also not stop myself from buying a lot of snacks that I hadn't seen anywhere else before either. Like steak flavored chips or some gummy candy that had Pikachu on them, the raimune soda that has like the marble in it that you pop in and some chocolate milk with some cute looking anime girl on it Rose and Sasha thought it was kinda funny that I bought so much and here is the first thing that surprised me about Japan was how much food the convenience store had and how literally convenient it was they had pre-prepared curry, ramen, udon and a lot of other vegetable based sort of foods they had a whole aisle of instant ramen and they had a full assortment of heated snacks at the front also. My favorite is the spicy chicken called spicy chicken. Also the nikuman which is like a pork bun and the pizamon which is a the same as a pork bun but it's pizza flavored. Kind of like a hot pocket I guess, but don't that doesn't make it sound as good as it is. It is delicious. And for anybody listening that's going to be traveling Japan for the first time, a convenience store is a great place that will always have an open toilet, and ATM. And the ATMs here work for most Western banks too. I was using Wells Fargo and I could withdraw money in increments of 100 US dollars which is 10,000 Japanese yen from any convenience store ATM. But you can do so much at these convenience stores actually. It's where you can buy bus tickets and train tickets as well as concert tickets or tickets to amusement parks, like Tokyo Disney or Universal Studios Japan. It is also where I paid my gas and power bills once I got an apartment. It is a very convenient place, as the name suggests, and the most prominent convenience stores or conbinis in Japan are 7-Eleven, Lawson's, and Family Mart. The cashier also seemed super friendly and exuberant and kind of like excited to serve us, which I was surprised about. Not that cashiers at 7-Elevens back in the States had been different exactly, but this is another early encounter I had with how extremely polite the Japanese work ethic sort of prompts one to be. Anyway, when Sasha spoke to him in some Japanese, he spoke to her back in Japanese, but then when it was clear that I really didn't know what was going on, he spoke to me in English, and it seemed fairly rehearsed and wasn't the best but it was definitely helpful for me and kind of set me at ease just a bit more and I believe a lot of convenience store employees in the big city do know a fair amount of English because they encounter a fair amount of travelers and I believe getting down some basic English phrases is part of their training we left and it was probably about 11 p.m. at that time I was super happy and excited for what was to come and I was especially happy that I met two friends like Sasha and Rose within even hours of me arriving all thanks to Sasha of course but I feel like when people travel often Oftentimes, very positive elements of the character can shine through more than usual, I think, and those positive characteristics can be given strength that comes from excitement and wonder. I'm sure that travel for myself strengthened my drive to create and my discipline to do so, as well as the confidence to pursue a creative career. So if you travel too or study abroad, my fingers are crossed, of course, but I do feel pretty good about you meeting some people that are pretty amazing and like-minded as well. Sasha, by the way, was from UC Berkeley and Rose was from UC San Diego. The night air was very warm and it's still humid, but I kind of enjoyed it. It was nice walking around at nighttime with shorts and a t-shirt, and I felt comfortable, even though I was already kind of sweaty after my shower. Anyway, the last thing that surprised me before I went to bed that night was seeing some young kids who probably couldn't be... who looked like they could hardly be in middle school yet, were walking around by themselves with big backpacks full of tennis rockets. This is in a fairly urban environment, in a place that wasn't even specifically well-lit, so... I commented on that, and wondered aloud if those kids were okay, and Sasha and Rose told me that, yes, Japan is an extremely safe place with an extremely low crime rate, and being here for a collective four years or so, I now definitely know that to be the case. Anyway, I got back and I slept super well that night. Alright, and now a brief change of pace. We are now going to be going into this podcast's next new segment, which is answering voice messages that I received from all of you. If you don't know already, I have links in my YouTube and my TikTok and on my website about how to send me a voice message. The link is anchor.fm forward slash forward slash message. I can then feature your voice message on the next episode of this podcast. This time around, we have five submitted comments and questions. And here's our first message from Melody.
1: Hello, my name is Melody and I live on the West Coast of the US. And I wanted to start this off by saying thank you so much for your TikTok videos and all the information you share because um, currently I, I've been writing this book for about a year uh, about Japanese and the mythology and culture and whatnot, and I've never been there. I've only know, like been learning about Japanese things and culture for about a year and a half, and it gets hard finding information sometimes, so thank you. Um, but one of the biggest questions I have that is hard to find a good answer for Is how do people currently feel about kami and yokai i mean i know shintoism is a religion but it has a lot of mythological aspects to it and i'm not sure how people feel about it today and how they view it um so that's my question and i hope you get to this in your thing and yeah bye
0: hey melody thank you for watching my tiktoks that means a lot to me and that's exciting about your book too honestly that sounds like something i would very much want to read so I'm looking forward for it to be done. That sounds like a lot of research, so keep it up. I guess one of the main things that I could add are the personal things my friends have told me about Shintoism in their life as well as as well as well spiritual experiences they have shared with me, as well as when I was curious about some stuff like that, the Japanese blogs I've encountered that had first-hand experiences of encounters with Yokai or spirits that usually have roots in the Shinto religion. So the conversation about ghosts or demons in Japan does come up every once in a while because I think it's kind of a fun thing to talk about with friends while drinking or a question for a date every once in a while if they've ever seen a ghost or if they believe in something like that. And I'd say I'm more on the side of being surprised at how many friends in Japan I have heard do believe in some sort of supernatural stuff. Even though like only 1% of Japan or less than that actually believe in any sort of Western religion, I think it does come from the fact that almost more than like 83% of Japanese population do follow... Shinto traditions, even if it's not a spiritual thing, such as praying at a shrine at New Years, and the Shinto wedding practices. Not to mention the hundreds of remaining Shinto shrines in every prefecture. So growing up, most people in Japan do have exposure to the belief that there is some sort of spirits in almost everything in nature. That being said, I think of all the conversations, I really only had one friend who really feels like they felt something supernatural. And they shared that story with me in full, which is what I will repeat now. So my friend grew up in the Japanese countryside in Yamanashi and he said that when he was a kid there was some stray cat that would hang around his like house and his yard all the time and uh, they would feed it and they would kind of take care of it a little bit. And he said at night time he would have dreams that he could like talk to the cat like every once in a while. So because of this he always said he really enjoyed having it around as a kid and one morning before he had to ride his bike to school he remembered the cat was like whining and making like a big scene and causing like a lot of trouble around the house. Which it had never done before. He said he remembered that day because another significance it had is that school was cancelled that day due to a bear sighting in the town and it was announced all over the town loudspeakers and he said school was canceled for like two days until they could be sure that the bear was no longer around and he said after that the cat never acted strange again or anything either so all these things combined in the fact that his family did follow a lot of Shinto belief systems he always thought that that cat was some sort of mountain spirit and that that one day at school the cat was trying to protect him from going to school where there might be a bear nearby or something because I guess the mountain spirit could tell there was a bear that could be dangerous for a kid But stories like this, he also said, are more frequently told by people that kind of grew up in the Japanese countryside and not so much people that grew up in the cities of Japan. Now, a useful resource that I think could be helpful for your book could also be Japanese blogs. I really enjoy hiking in Japan, so I was looking for more local Japanese hiking trails and I thought that one of the best ways to do so would be searching in Japanese and I came across several hiking blogs. One of these hiking blogs called yamakeonline.com that is yamake-online.com had a section for people's posts and this is all written in Japanese but I think it can be translated uh, if you're using a Google browser like Chrome anyway this blog has a section for people that believe they've seen mountain spirits or yokai in the mountains and I think these are pretty interesting some of these are like stories of people who said 40 years ago or so they saw a giant red face very tall up in the trees in the forest and that image always stuck to them And one of them tells a story of a guy who used to go up in the mountains when he was young. And one time he got lost, and it was snowing, and he thought that he would not survive the night, actually. But he said some sort of mountain spirit took control of his body and basically led him down the mountain back to his town. So this blog could be helpful, and many of these blogs are only in Japanese again, especially ones I've found about urban legends. But they can be translated, of course, and I think these could be some interesting first-hand accounts. Maybe searching yokai in the Japanese kanji, yokai buragu, and buragu would be in katakana. And good luck on your book, and I'm actually from the west coast of America myself, so that's great to hear from you. Thank you so much for your question. Alright, so here's what's next. Hey Wes, I would just like to say that your videos are awesome and you're a huge inspiration to me and you've really helped me with uh, learning about Japan and helping me just to strive for my
2: goal to eventually attend college there. Um, My question would be, do
0: you think finance is a good field to enter for Japan? hey thanks for saying that really does mean a lot to me and I don't take that lightly second of all I'm very excited for you to study abroad in Japan that was a fantastic way for me to go there and I think going into Japan with a student community is a wonderful way to get accustomed to the language and the culture and yes I think finance would be a fantastic field to work in while you are in Japan I know friends that have graduated with me recently and have gone into finance even within entry-level positions they're making great money and they find it to be a very exciting environment definitely also an industry that has one definitely also an industry that has one foot into the budding entrepreneurial landscape of Japan too. As of now, jobs and finance are ranked around the top five highest paying jobs for foreigners in Japan. Coming in around the same as engineering and business analytics, so points if that's something you want to pursue. And if you are worried at all about the language or the cultural barrier with working in finance in Japan too, I have heard that there are a lot of companies that are working with financially connecting a lot of Japanese companies and businesses to businesses in the states and in the west one which my friend has had positive experiences with especially with their recruitment is is robert walters japan uh banking and financial services and he says that the more global side of business in japan is a very exciting place to be at this time so thanks again for your message and i hope that helped and here we have our next question from narciso and narciso thank you so much for often joining my tiktok live that means a lot to me how have your life experiences in Japan changed you as a person? I like that question a lot, thanks for asking. So the thing that I noticed immediately was that after my first three months I think living in Japan, I definitely had a much more confidence in my own choices and what I wanted to do for the future and also confidence in knowing what I was passionate about. I think that confidence really led me to take the leap into a more competitive field which is media. Even though many people said that the competitive nature of working in media, especially in Los Angeles, was I'm very happy now that I went for that, and I think, I think I had a lot more uncertainty within myself before I went to Japan. I was kind of worried about telling anybody I even wanted to work in media, just kind of like I was nervous about telling anybody I wanted to go to Japan. I felt like I kind of owed everybody an explanation about how or why I could do this, so that definitely changed. Uh, Other things I didn't really notice right away, however, after talking with others about their experiences, I think I've come to see that living abroad has definitely made me worry less about small things and be more flexible. I think seeing how big the world is and seeing how different a culture can be can really open eyes to new perspectives, which can make seemingly tricky situations less daunting or impending seeming. I hope that makes sense. Also now, after seeing that I can live in Japan and also learn a new language, I feel like I can do more than I previously thought I could. And I think that does kind of make it so I hesitate less before embarking on something new, because kind of a fear of failure is less of a deterrent. I also think often being around such humble and kind people and in such a safe environment with so much beauty has has made it so I do appreciate smaller things in life and also emulate those positive behaviors myself. I hope so, at least. So yeah, thanks for asking. And now we have our next comment from Max. Hey
2: Wes, how you doing? It's Max. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that you're doing really good stuff here. Uh, keep the good work. I love seeing progress and I love seeing what you're doing. So uh, yeah, just keep doing amazing things. I love what you're doing. Thank you.
0: Hey Max, thanks so much, that means a ton to me, honestly, and I'm so happy you joined the Discord and we connected there, and I know everyone else in the Discord community always enjoys you there too, so that's really cool. And I appreciate you, uh, saying that, that really means a lot, and that does give me motivation, so thanks, I won't forget that, cheers. Definitely hearing something like that keeps me going to, like, spend some extra hours making a video, or spend some extra hours doing some research for the podcast, so, it's very much appreciated. And I enjoy this a lot too, so, I enjoy the fact that other people enjoy what I enjoy, even more and okay let's see what's next
2: hey i am from canada i'm in the 11th grade and i would like to travel to japan in the future to for personal reasons like travel learn a new culture and possibly have a future there if possible um i'm currently learning japanese in school and our school also has a japanese exchange program and i was planning to go this year but it got cancelled due to COVID. Anyways, my question is what can I do to make my dream to going to Japan possible? I know you talked in your previous in your in the first episode about having good a good GPA. I'm gonna be honest, I don't really know what a GPA is or if it's different in Canada than it is in the US. If you could possibly explain and help me there, that'd be great, thank you.
0: Hello from Osaka to Canada, and that's exciting about your dream, and I'm really sorry to hear about your exchange program being cancelled, that's rough. However, I hope for the options continue to present themselves to you. And I do again think that study abroad is a great way to go to Japan. I'm not sure if you're planning to go to a university, whether a two-year, or a four-year, or even a trade school. After your high school experience, however, if you do, many of those do have exchange program options as well. And yes, GPA is just your grade point average, so how an A translates into a 4, and just a way to quantify uh, grades more universally across different educational programs. So if you just keep in generally solid academic standings, I think most programs are more willing to take you. But again, I do think the more personal connection you can make with a lot of these programs uh, through an essay of the application is more powerful. And anyway, if you do choose to not go to any sort of further education after high school, which I think is fine for many reasons as well, there are programs you can apply to directly in Japan, like EF or Shinjuku Nihongo Gakko SNG, and universities you can apply directly to Also in Japan, like ICU in Tokyo. And thank you for listening to my first podcast. So I'm glad you know that I definitely advocate for searching up for scholarships too. So that anything financial should not be as much as a barrier as it normally could be. Anyway, good luck. I feel you got this. And thanks for listening. I really appreciate that. So that is all of the messages I have for the first time doing this segment. Once again, if you would like to submit a voice message that I can answer for my next podcast, please do so at anchor.fm forward slash Westmather forward slash message and now I will continue with some of the experiences from my first time in Japan I woke up early for orientation, being sure not to be late and that's when I encountered my next surprise in Japan which was the Japanese toilet and the boudet. So the hotel toilet had a control panel on the right side of it and if you have seen my TikTok video on the Japanese toilets then you have seen what this is like However basically it had a heated seat and it had a button for noise in case you wanted to be discreet and then it has the boudet which if you're not familiar that is something that cleans you after you're done going to the bathroom with water. And I kind of made a promise to myself that I would definitely be outgoing and open minded when I came to Japan and try to try every new thing I could encounter. So I went for it, I pressed the button and yeah that was an experience. So with my first morning in Japan already being fairly exciting I went down to the orientation And they had free breakfast there, which was delicious fruit, and some crepes and waffles, which I myself am a fan of. Looked around with interest at the 35 or so people that I would be studying abroad together with that summer. And here enters a figure that was pivotal for my whole study abroad experience. The head of the study abroad program at Osaka University, Judy. She was an older woman with silver blonde hair and piercing eyes, and she only introduced herself by her first name, following with the fact that she had lived in Japan and been happily married here for 30 years. Judy began the orientation by saying that she was certain that this would be a life-changing experience for everybody in the program, all positive and negative experiences included, and that she was excited for us. She said she knew that a majority of the participants in the summer program at Osaka were beginners in the Japanese language and had zero to little experience with Japanese culture and she said that was fine and that was a fantastic place to be. I quickly found her fairly trustworthy. She didn't seem like she was one to play around, And the fact that she kind of used more coarse language and some bad words with us for whatever reason made me feel like I could be real with her on any sort of situation I had in Japan. Which is something she encouraged if we had any problems. She then got into our class schedule. We would have about three months of classes. About five hours a day, five days a week on the Japanese language and Japanese culture, rotating between four teachers. And we would be sorted into three different classes, class A, B, and C, depending on our Japanese language capability. There were some students that had already had a year or a semester of Japanese. And we would take a language placement test the following day to see which class that we fell into. And spoiler, I fell into the C class, which is the class that had zero Japanese speaking experience. She next said that it was time for each of us to come up and give our own self-introduction before the rest of the study abroad students. And I was actually excited about this because I do have interest in people in general, and I was excited to get to know everybody else in the program. And even if I am shy at times, I do have confidence to some extent in my ability to express myself, especially in regards to things that I do feel legitimately passionate about, like studying abroad. So here are the self-introductions that stood out, as well as what I said myself. And now may be a fair time for the disclaimer that I am using fake names for everybody involved and I do basically speak positively about almost everybody honestly in the program but still if I am going to be fully honest about my experience here I think it's best to let everybody remain anonymous just in case for the record anyway here we go the first kid to stand up and introduce himself let's call him Jack said that he was excited to be here and he came to Japan to learn Japanese and he wanted to study business here and at some point be able to watch Naruto without the subtitles. So points to him. And he ended up being a good friend of mine. After that, a girl that I thought was pretty cute stood up and said that she was Amber. And she came here because she said she had family at some point in her heritage that was from Japan. And she came here to essentially try to feel a connection with them. And we ended up being fairly close too at the end. And next was Sasha, who I have told you about already. And she said she came here because of an interest in Japanese food. And she had studied the language a bit beforehand. And actually been to Japan one time before with her family, so she said to everybody that they could come to her for questions about anything she could help with, so always much respect and admiration for her. And then she sat back down. And I'm not going to go into every student's self-introduction because I know many people are here listening for tips and facts about how to study abroad in Japan or travel here. However, the next person of note that does have relevance to my experience here would be Michael. Michael was casual but confident. And he did something that could be useful for anybody studying abroad or traveling with the group. This was make a Facebook page that everybody could join if they wanted to. That way we could all share our photos and also more easily plan group activities. And none of these study abroad programs I have joined have done this by themselves. It's always been a student that kind of takes it upon themselves. And it ended up being a great way to connect with people and see all the photos that everyone was taking. And Michael ended up being one of my best friends in the program too. And it's so valuable I think having somebody that you enjoy spending time with when you travel. So I'll just skip to when I stood up and volunteered to give myself introduction. And again when studying abroad and learning Learning Japanese a self-introduction is something that you're gonna go through over and over again whether it be in a new class or your whole study abroad group Or a school club or circle. I was nervous the first time, but it's something I got used to But I just gave my name Wes Mather and I was interested in learning Japanese and studying photography and video production Also that I had zero Japanese experience and I was excited to get to know everybody This is basically something I said over and over again and eventually was saying in Japanese Yoroshiku, to video no no Or something like that. Anyway, the last part of orientation that I'm going to touch upon that could be useful are some traveling Japan mentalities that Judy laid out for us to follow. She jumped into possibly hypothetical, tricky situations and asked, "If you find that you have a disagreement with somebody while studying or traveling here in Japan, what should you do?" And a student at the time raised their hand and said, "Talk something out with them until you find a mutual agreement." And I thought that sounded very sensible at the time. And I'm not sure how people are going to take this, but Judy kind of said, "No, you are actually just an." culture that you don't really know and you should probably just listen and try to learn absorb a new culture and be as flexible as possible I know that's kind of a blanket statement but it was interesting to hear and I remember that making an impression on me however personally I also think while traveling you should never hesitate to stick up for yourself as well on that note Judy also said that the Japanese police are very much here to help everybody that's traveling and police stations located all over the city called Koban are a great place to go 24 7 if you encounter any issues or need help and I can personally say also that the Koban have helped me out, even for finding directions, as well as helping recover lost property. So I wouldn't be afraid to go to the police in Japan for even the smallest issue. And they're also very much trained to be patient with people that don't speak Japanese. The next thing she directed mainly to the girls, she said that in the event that you do encounter some kind of creepy guy, that you should not hesitate to make a scene, trust your instinct and remove yourself from any of these situations as quickly as possible. She said they haven't had much occurrences of those happening, however, please don't hesitate to bring anything like that up or report it. And for anybody traveling too, outside of a program, anything like that, should not be hesitated either to be taken to the police. There's now training and legislation and some social pressure too for the police to take these things very seriously, whether it be anything from stalking or inappropriate attention. The last thing that Judy talked about was not so much advice, however more touching on a key societal difference for Japan and America, this being an image of maturity. In America, she- in America, she said, the image of what it means to be mature very much goes hand in hand with being independent, reliable, and self-sufficient. And while these are also characteristics that are held in high regard within Japanese society, becoming mature in Japan is more a sense of becoming a strong member of a group to make that group even stronger, and working diligently within a system. She said one element of this is a sense of being humble that is often absent in a lot of Americans' perception of becoming a successful adult. She said neither of these things are better or worse, just different, and I agree with that. But not to mistake somebody being humble in Japan as a weakness at all, which I also agree with. And we set off to the monorail that leads to campus. And the next part I found exciting. We were each going to be assigned our own Japanese student tutor. These were Japanese students who had interest in other cultures and travel, often students that were majoring or minoring in another language, who had volunteered to basically Connect with us, be easy to contact, in some forms be kind of like a designated friend and help us ease into Japanese society. This might be a good place to add that the ride on the monorail was amazing and I remember so vividly the views outside of the window. The monorail itself also was extremely clean and futuristic, and a question I get pretty often is how well Japan is actually portrayed in Japanese media, anime, and manga. And I'd say very well. I don't know if I thought beforehand that animating trash was just kind of like too much work, but the extreme lack of litter everywhere was... Noticed, definitely, which was another thing that surprised me, even on day two. And I don't know how this comes across saying, but it did feel like I was in a scene from some kind of movie that took place in the future, so that was awesome. So I was listening to more like dreamy EDM on my iPod. And if you do ever get a chance to check out Northern Osaka, I do really recommend places like Exposity, where the monorail leads. They also have a huge, amazing Ferris wheel with glass bottoms, all the way up to the Minno Campus area, which has great nature and hiking and a fantastic park. And that is where we all arrived together, and already my first day in Japan was extremely exciting, even things as small as buying a juice from the many vending machines. I got something called Pocari Sweat, and if you don't know what that is, it's something like a sports drink in Japan that I came to love. I bought it initially because I thought the name Sweat in the drink was kind of strange, but I found it to be an extremely refreshing drink. And at this point I was also shocked at the amount of vending machines that I saw everywhere, mainly for drinks, however, in the monorail station they also had vending machines for ice cream, which some of the exchange students from UC San Diego got, and it looked delicious. I feel like ice cream in Japan is on a whole new level, by the way but I'll get into Japanese snacks some other time. My first impression of the campus at Osaka University was definitely a positive one but I was also surprised at some things. There seemed to be a stark contrast between much older buildings that seemed almost from decades or generations past compared to some of the buildings that seemed extremely modern, high-tech, all concrete, stainless steel and glass. The old buildings did seem to be old and you could see how they were worn down after decades of weather and there was ivy growing up the sides. However, they did seem to be maintained very well and they showed no signs of disrepair Later, I did kind of realize more things that did kind of seem to be like vestiges of the past, like deck systems and fax machines in the library, as well as a manual catalog of the books that were not registered on a computer. And I did find this very interesting. I personally find older buildings kind of romantic sometimes, especially if that building is a school for some reason. It makes me kind of wonder about generations of past students and what their lives were like. All over Japan also I've realized, even within city bureaucracy or bigger companies, older things like fax machines, carbon copy paper, and chalkboards are still used pretty often. And this can often be side by side with like a cafe where a robot will serve you some kind of sparkly cupcake so that is interesting to me. This campus was on the outskirts of the city and I've definitely noticed the maintenance and continued usage of older things in the more rural parts of Japan. It's like going for a vintage aesthetic but just for the functionality, not for any kind of image, but that tangent is over. And it was outside of that library I talked about that we met with each of our individual tutors and said goodbye to Judy after she gave us her phone number and her line account and said to contact her with anything or any problems we had so the Japanese student tutor who was assigned to me was named Kohei and this was kinda the first time in Japan I met somebody my own age he was a very sharply dressed guy, a bit shorter than me, with neat hair and glasses and he introduced himself to me and said that he'd be taking me to my apartment this is where we separated from students that had homestay families the rest of us were gonna be walked to our new apartments by our new tutors each of us was assigned our own apartment in one of the complexes in the surrounding neighborhoods so Kohei was quiet while we walked and talked through the neighborhoods but the few things he did say he said with great English so it kind of took this to mean that he was just kinda shy and some students did talk on the monorail to Judy and asked if uh, many Japanese students were kind of shy and she just said just like in America everyone is kinda different however people can often seem more quiet if they're not confident in speaking English or they don't speak English so often. Anyway, I discovered down the line when I went out drinking with Kohei that he is crazy and wild and awesome, and he is still a good friend of mine to this day, being a powerhouse businessman in Tokyo. But at that time, he was a fairly quiet, well-dressed Japanese kid that was my first friend in Japan. Even if he did volunteer to be my friend for some kind of student credit, then that was fine with me too. I would take it. I also got to talk to that girl Amber, who I thought was cute, on the walk through the Japanese neighborhood and the sun was setting and it was kind of cool but I kind of think I was mainly focused on how excited I was for my new apartment I noticed how a lot of the houses in the neighborhoods were kind of small and I couldn't quite pinpoint why I liked the aesthetic of it all so much however after years of seeing Japanese neighborhoods in Japanese suburbia I think there's kind of like an extreme utilization of space no space kind of goes without being used or uncared for and I think that's comfortable in a way I'm not sure one of my friends is not a fan of Japanese architecture for modern houses saying it kind of lacks expression but I actually kind of enjoy the simplicity of a lot of it. I think that does kind of make small, more subtle uh, architectural choices stand out and really pop. So I said bye to Amber and I found my new apartment. It was on the second story of a two-story apartment complex. And it's funny, I remember saying in the application that if at all possible, I would always love to have a westward-facing window because I like the light of the sunset. And they gave me that too. So I think while planning, another note for anybody is don't be afraid to ask for things that you want. I always am kind of nervous or worried that I'm going to be asking too much. But if simple things make you happy, then I think you should go for it. So Japanese apartments are very different from anything I've seen in the West. They are very compact, And the hallway often serves as a kitchen as well as that is where the doors to the bathroom and the shower are. And this was the case for my new apartment. The rest consisted of a single room with a bed and a desk and a small closet. And my favorite part which was the balcony. My view from the balcony was mainly of another apartment complex. However beyond that I could see some rice paddy fields and the amazing mountains in the background of northern Osaka. And I was extremely in a state of bliss without a doubt. Kohei quietly said goodbye and was off. And here's my advice, experience, and research on finding housing and places to stay in Japan. So for this study abroad program, Osaka University took care of connecting every student with an apartment. For students that are staying for longer than a summer at Osaka University, there are also options to stay in dorm rooms. Dorm rooms in Japan are considerably less expensive. And at all three schools I attended, dorms ranged from usually 300 a month in US dollars, to about 500 a month, and these places include a shared kitchen, which can often be a fun experience to cook with your classmates, and sometimes shared showers, which is often not as fun of an experience. However, in the countryside of Japan, or in the outskirts of a larger city like Osaka, like where I was at that time, the apartments are also not too expensive. My rent for this apartment, in a fairly modern building, was 600 a month. That was with utilities included, and a new bed and mattress, and a desk. Also an air conditioning unit, which is always something I recommend you check they have. And even a doorbell monitor, so that when someone came to the door I could see who they were through a camera. It did not, however, come with a Wi-Fi router, so that is something I had to go by myself, and... I'll walk through that process in the next episode. I went with Kohei and Amber, and it was actually fairly simple. Anyway, if you're traveling here outside of a school program, then you have to find your apartment or place to stay on your own. I'm gonna start with longer-term stay, because many apartments have a minimum of six months that you can stay and some have a minimum of three years. The website I used to study abroad, the website I used to find an apartment in Japan when I lived in Kyoto for a full year was realestatejapan.co.jp and another reputable site I have heard of is Gaijin Pot Apartments. Both of these services will have an English-speaking real estate agent that can connect with you online or by email and they can set up virtual tours for you through the apartment and answer questions that you have. Things to look out for when you're renting an apartment in Japan is the proximity to the nearest train station. Uh, sometimes if an apartment is super cheap, it turns out it's because it's a 30 minute walk from the nearest train station. And that can definitely add a lot of time for your daily routine. As well as make your spot not the most popular place to have company over. I would also ask whether or not the apartment requires you to pay key money or have a guarantor. I would search for apartments that don't require these two things key money is basically a tradition of giving a gift of money to the landlord so it's extra money you have to pay on top of your deposit and a guarantor is basically someone that kind of co-signs with you for an apartment if you're renting as a foreigner this can often be a company that you work for or a friend that lives in Japan and they also have guarantor services that you can apply for if the apartment that you have your heart set on does actually require guarantor I always really find looking for an apartment in Japan to be kind of exciting anyway if you're here for a shorter period of time then many of these websites also offer three-month periods if you're coming here on a travel visa. Or familiar websites like Craigslist or Airbnb will offer longer-term periods of stay, such as one-month to three-month periods of stay. And if you do want kind of like a homestay experience, regardless of whether or not you're involved with a school program, they have websites for that too. One is simply called homestay.com japan. And many of these range from $50 to $20 a night. However, some of them have minimum times of stay, like three days to even one month. They often have an introduction to the family you'll be staying with and some of these rooms look really compelling and kind of like a really quaint place to stay. They as well offer guidelines as well as manners, sometimes they'll have a curfew if they don't want you coming home late and waking them up and they'll offer things like cooking food for you every once in a while or cooking together. So finally, if you're coming here for vacation, I'm fairly certain everybody knows how hotels work and Travel agencies will set you up with solid hotels, however, there are a lot cheaper options of hotels that are often not in the travel agency's network. Many travel agencies focus on partnerships with hotels that can almost guarantee an English-speaking person at the desk, therefore these prices are a bit higher often. However, as you might know already, this podcast is going to focus on budget travel, so if you don't mind a little bit of Google Translate or your favorite translation app at the desk, then I would recommend just doing a Google Maps search of hotels near the area that you want to be traveling in. Another way of staying in Japan for shorter periods of time or even a single night is a guest house and these are often older traditional houses that are converted kind of into an inn and they often places to stay that are shared rooms so extremely cheap often twenty dollars a night where you might have bunk beds that you share with other travelers as well as single rooms and these single rooms if they're more well dressed up they range usually from $40 40 to $80 a night. However, it's often like a nice tatami mat experience where you have a futon that you sleep on the floor and it's kind of like a nice traditional setting. These will often usually have a shared kitchen or a shared space like a lounge and that's a cool place to meet travelers if you're traveling alone or if you're just interested in talking to other people about their experiences in Japan. I worked at a guest house in Kyoto for about half a year called Kyubei so I can vouch for how clean they are because I had to clean them and they were very strict about my cleaning process. Another one I've had a great experience with is in the Izu Peninsula called Kay's House. Both of these places also offered kind of like a deal. It's kind of beside the point, however, you could stay there for free if you also worked and cleaned there for free, too. Um, so that is something I did consider for a while. Anyway, we can go even cheaper with capsule hotels and even manga cafes. So a capsule hotel, as many may have heard, is almost just like a hole in the wall. They're usually really high-tech and kind of modern and it's almost just like a loft or a tube that is covered with cushions and then they have bookshelves and often a TV, depending on the quality. And if you're not claustrophobic, I think these are a great experience. These can range from $20 a night to $100 a night, to some of them that have like your own personal window in the capsule that looks over the city. And manga cafes, which can be anywhere from $13 a night to $30 a night, are exactly that. It's a small cafe which has a large lounge where you can browse and read manga, usually often all in Japanese, but sometimes in the city they'll have an English section. And you have a booth with a computer. This booth is pretty private often, however, it can often be separated by other booths, by just like a little thing of wood. So you have to be very quiet in these, but you can have a full night of reading manga and using the high speed internet that they provide headphones for, if you don't mind sleeping on a cushioned floor. I will sleep in a manga cafe often when I have been out with friends and I missed my last train home and I don't want to keep hanging out with anybody or I don't really have anything to do so I want someplace to stay until the first train so then I check into a manga cafe some of them will require that you make a membership with them and that just kind of requires you writing down your email as well as your address in Japan and then you get a small card that you can get like a stamp pass on and sometimes d- discounts and they're a cool experience I would say even if you don't really need to stay in one it's pretty fun. And I think that does just about cover places to stay in Japan. In the remaining time of this podcast, I'm going to talk about my first night out with the other exchange students, as well as the Japanese language placement test all the way up until my first class, where we will end and finish off with my final segment, which is also new in episode two, which is some small Japanese words that I would like to teach you that I think could be useful and also are kind of relevant to this episode. But first here's a quick sponsored message by the company that makes this whole podcast possible. I was in the process of unpacking and setting up my new apartments and I really kind of love designing a space that I know I'm gonna be spending a lot of time in. And I heard my doorbell ring. I used that cool monitor to see that it was my classmate coming. It was Jack who I did briefly introduce earlier. He asked if I had checked the Facebook group and I had not and he said that people were gonna meet up and maybe go out for some drinks and he wanted to know if I wanted to come because his apartment was very close to mine I thought that was very cool of him and I always do appreciate the kind of people that reach out to others when there's a new group to kind of connect and take initiative so I put off packing till later and this was my first night out with my classmates in Japan or some of them and we realized we had no idea what to do at all Out of the five of us that met up, the only two of which I had introduced were Amber and Jack, none of us really spoke that much Japanese and definitely none of us knew the area. We probably could have reached out to our tutors, however, we decided just to kind of walk around the area and go to a local convenience store and then go have some drinks by the river, which I always enjoy doing. And I was still enthralled by every detail of this town, which I'll probably explain in more detail in the next episode. Jack was very outgoing and rambunctious and really friendly and Amber was definitely more Reserved, but definitely really sharp and funny. And Jack brought up quickly that he was hopeful for some cute teachers because that is the best way for him to focus. And Amber wished him luck but said that definitely a sexy teacher would lead him to fail because he would probably be distracted. I felt like the way that she had kind of cool, calm, and cold humor, and the way that he was like exuberant and wild had like the perfect balance for characters. I remember thinking. And side note, I don't know if this happens much in America, but halfway through our program we ended up going out drinking and having dinner with our teachers, which was very fun. I don't know if that's something that happens a lot in Japan, or if it was more specific to these teachers or this program, but that is an experience that I really enjoyed. But about all five of the people that came and linked up that night were very cool, and I really enjoyed all their company. I think it's kind of interesting when you have a group of people that are all removed from their familiar environments, and placed in a setting they don't know, away from their friends groups, with new people that are in the same situation, and how people kind of connect in times like that. I think I was pretty just calm and happy to be there, and we all talked about things we were excited to do with our summer in Japan, and because of the time change, I think we all got pretty tired at around 6pm, and I definitely passed out around 7.30. Coming to Japan from the west because of the time change, most likely you're going to be waking up super early, super energized and fresh, and then getting tired around 5-6pm. to Which is nice because I am often a nighttime person, and I do a lot of my work in the nighttime, like recording this podcast right now at 1am, after my work for the day has ended already. But when I wake up fresh at 5am, and I can be productive then too, it's kind of cool having all my stuff done by like 9am. And that was the case the next day when we went off to take our placement test. So I woke up energized on my second day in Japan with an empty apartment, and and my first Japanese test ahead of me. I went on a morning run which I really did enjoy and I got a pretty cool feel for the town at that time. But it really only made me want to explore more and check out more of the small areas that I kinda made mental notes on when I saw them. After I showered and got dressed in clothing that I thought was kinda cool looking, I made the walk to campus which took about 15 minutes and that's where we would be taking our placement test. I enjoyed most every minute of that walk. It was a fairly rural area with a lot of rice fields and in summertime those rice fields are often bright green, which was beautiful. And for the second time of that trip I stopped at a vending machine and got my first vending machine coffee, Boss Coffee, which is now a staple of my daily routine. I think it is delicious. And they also have Georgia Coffee, and Georgia is actually the name of my little sister, so I kind of took a picture of that and sent it to her. I was kind of so excited this whole time that I had been neglecting to send messages to my family and when I checked I had gotten a lot of iMessages from them. I told them I was okay and everything and of course it's a great thing to check in with loved ones back home when you travel, I don't think I need to say that. But if anything I need to say that more to myself to remind myself to do so more. The test was in one of the older buildings and I kind of liked the environment there. It reminded me of like 90s Japanese cinema or like 90s Japanese anime movies and there were desks all around the classroom in a c-shape so that we could more so almost all face each other which I think really came in handy when we did more conversation-based learning. I wasn't too nervous about the test because I did study a bit beforehand and I knew even if I failed it, uh, which I actually did end up failing it, I didn't have to suffer any penalty except for being in a class that would be more easy for me. So the first question of the test consisted of a full hiragana alphabet and hiragana does have an order like a, i, u, e, o, ka, ki, ku, ke, ko, and so on. So I was able to fill in several of these but the next one was a list of Japanese words that you knew, and the only one I knew out of the seven or so was Ringo, which was Apple. Out of my self-study for Japanese before I came, which was basically hiragana and some basic vocabulary. For whatever reason, I just remembered Apple. The final question was writing a self-introduction in Japanese, and you were able to do so in Romanji, which is basically A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so on. Uh, Or you could write it in hiragana or even kanji, I suppose, if you knew some. I tried my best in Romanji, like the thing I said before, with but I was unable to basically get any of that down. And yeah, I was placed in the lowest ranking of learning Japanese, which was fine, and turns out that was the best fit for me. And Jack was also in my class, which was very cool, because he seemed like a fun person to study with. And Amber placed an A class, and I know it might seem kind of irrelevant focusing on these different people in my program but many of them did end up having experiences I think it would be very useful to share and also I think it's the most genuine way to kind of recount my experience as well. Anyway, Amber placed an A class and that was the class for people who had the best scores on the placement test. People that had had a semester or so of Japanese study or in Amber's case growing up in a household where somebody did speak Japanese but maybe no formal Japanese training. And each class consisted of about 10 to 13 people or so. And then our classes begin, which is where I'm going to end this episode. And the next episode is going to be focusing on Japanese education and best ways to learn and how I kind of came from zero Japanese speaking capability to now being able to work here speaking primarily Japanese. In the next episode, I'm also going to talk about going out with friends in Japan and everything from dinner to nightlife. My first time going out then as well as what I've learned after four years. So thank you for listening. And now is my final segment, which is where if you want to learn Japanese, you can stick around for some useful Japanese words relating to what we've discussed in this episode. So here's my final new segment that I plan to have at the end of each episode, where I'm going to introduce some Japanese vocabulary and terms that pertain to what I just talked about. So of course I did talk a lot about a self-introduction, so let's walk through that. So first thing of course is hello, konnichiwa, konnichiwa. There are more formal and more informal ways of doing this, however I'm gonna go for the solid mid-ground. I am Wes. Watashi wa Wes. Watashi wa Wes desu. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Nice to meet you or nice to meet you all. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Watashi wa Wes I am Wes. Watashi, I wa is the particle. However, in hiragana it's written like ha huh? and then your name. And my name is Wes. And then des goes at the end. Basically it means it is. So konnichiwa, yoroshiku onegaishimasu watashiwa watashi was desu. Finally, something we're often taught is to introduce your hobbies. Shumi is hobby. Watashi no shumi wa. So no basically means of, and watashi we already know means I. So watashi no shumi is the hobby of me. And then wa is that particle again that goes before the information that's being presented. So my hobby is watashi no shumi wa. And then mine is photography, so I'd say Shashin o Photography is Shashin o Alright, so basically, all together we have Konishiwa, Yoroshiko and Shimasu, West desu Watashi no Shumi wa Maybe I am jumping straight into some stuff that is more tricky here, so now I'm just gonna go on to some vocab words and then some slang. Yachin is rent. Yachin. Next, Ikemen. 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 That means a handsome man and Bijin. Bijin. Bijin means a beautiful woman. Now for some easy ones, a lot of Japanese words are borrowed from the English language, and are basically just English words but said with the Japanese phonetics. Like bude is bude, and monorail is Monoreru. It's the same with McDonald's, makudo narudo. as well as the word for shirt or shatsu. Anyway, another very important thing I think to learn is asking where something is, so that is doko desu ka. Uh, To ask, where's the shirt? Shatsu wa doko desu ka? To ask, where's the handsome man? Ikimen wa doko desu ka? Or the airport? Airport is koku. Koku wa doko desu ka? Anyway, I am gonna add more structure to these lessons at the end of each episode. However, for now, I would really just like to get this podcast out on time relatively soon. So, that's all. Again, thanks for being patient with audio inconsistencies, or my editing skills. This is only my second podcast, and I'm slowly getting used to talking to myself for a prolonged period of time. Also, a huge shout-out to my Discord mods and admins who have helped me a lot with these ideas, and my whole Discord server is going to be playing a huge part of this podcast production in these coming weeks and months. So if that's something you have interest in, please don't hesitate to go check out my Discord, which the link is in my YouTube channel and my TikTok bio. If you feel at all like supporting me, then please check out my Teespring, where you can buy merchandise, that I have designed uh, with images based on my media excursions in Japan. You can find that by looking at West Mather Merch Teespring. And I think that basically covers everything. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Until next time.